Good morning, everybody. Wow, do you look good. I don't know, you've probably been uh, exercising a little extra? Maybe doing your breathing exercises? I don't know. After we do the simultaneous sip, uh, I'm going to give you a reframe that will change your life. That's my challenge. Do you think I can do that? Do you think I can give you like two sentences that will change your life? Right? I think I can, actually. Like, actually, I think I can. <laughs> Truly. Uh, all right. But before we do that, we're going to take it up a notch. You ready? Here we go. All you need is a copper mug or a glass of tank or towel sustain, a canteen jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine hit of the day thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. It happens now. Go. Uh, savor it. Savor it. All right, are you ready for the reframe in just a few sentences that will change your life? You ready? Here it comes. You're not waiting in line. You're doing breathing exercises. That's it. So I've been trying to figure out some way that I could work the habit of breathing exercises into my daily life. And it turns out that every day, I spend at least some time standing in line, right? Grocery store or Starbucks or gas station or something. So you're always standing in line. So you could take out your phone, which is what I used to do, take out my phone, and then I would uh, probably make myself more anxious. (laughs) I would enjoy it. That's why I look at my phone. But it makes you a little anxious, doesn't it? So instead... Uh, I'm having really good success with that Andrew Huberman two inhales and one long exhale. You know, you do one big sniff in with your nose, and then before you exhale, you do a second, you know, aggressive sniff. So you fill your lungs with two two nose sniffs, and then you do one long exhale. And I can actually feel the... uh, like the extra energy that causes anxiety. I like to say it that way. I can actually just feel it go away instantly. But it doesn't stay away. You know, but if you keep doing the breathing thing, it does feel like it lasts a while. Um, so I've been doing the breathing exercises, got off all of my blood pressure meds. Yesterday I checked my blood pressure. It was uh, 118 over 78 <laughs> on no meds. And, and the only thing I've been doing differently is the breathing exercises. But I have been you know, walking and exercising and doing all the right stuff. So, um, and, and let me check in with you. Honestly, I've, I've always believed that I could get a lot of benefit out of breathing exercises because all of the science, everybody who's tried it, it's very consistent, right? It's one of the things you've been hearing for years, but... Um, it's hard to actually work it into your life. And the part that I couldn't figure out is how to carve out, you know, a little breathing time or a little meditation time. And I just realized I don't need to. Just whenever I'm bored, instead of my phone, I'll just do some breathing exercises. It's been great so far. Wait till you see how that changes your life. Um, You know, interestingly, on a similar topic, I guess 
uh, Dr. Huberman, who is the, you know, the, the person promoting this breathing uh, exercise, um, and other things. He uh, did some big live event at the Beacon Theater in New York City. It was, it was packed. I saw a picture of it. And uh, I saw a tweet from Adam Dopamine, who says, you'll know it's the golden age when educators are celebrities. And I thought, whoa, that's kind of happening. Jordan Peterson is, is a celebrity educator, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, you know, weirdly, Joe Rogan's a celebrity educator in, you know, in his own way through guests. But uh, yeah, uh, Andrew Huberman is exactly that. He's, he's famous for being somebody educating people. Yeah, Lex Friedman, um, I think Tim Ferriss, maybe, maybe the original. But uh, V.D. Hansen, right? So I, I like that. Now, I've used other, uh, other descriptors like Internet Dads and stuff, but I, tr- I try to do the same thing. You know, I'm trying to give you useful things and see if it helps your life. Um, the best Fetterman joke so far from Twitter user Blake uh, Beeve or, or Bay, B-E-Y-E, and he tweeted this today, Biden slash Fetterman 2024. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, that would be, that's the bumper sticker I want to see. Biden Fetterman 2024. It's a no-brainer. It, it, it's tough to top that joke. <laughs> I've been waiting for I've been waiting for somebody to capture just the right spirit of it. There it was. There it was. Now, many of you are probably saying to yourself, and I, I heard this a lot on social media, Fetterman, how can those Democrats elect somebody who performs so poorly in public? Uh, and that was actually my digital assistant talking to me for some reason. Anyway, so but, here, but here's what I would uh, counter to that. Have you had that same feeling? The Fetterman doesn't look like he's up to the job of being a senator? You've had that feeling, right? Let me give you some context. Think about how many people are in Congress, okay? It's a lot. Add the Senate to the, the House... Uh, how many? How many are there? Five. If you add them together, five hundred thirty-five, or is that just the house? Uh, Four thirty-five plus hundred. Yeah. So five. There are five hundred thirty-five of them. All right. Now here's a question that's going to mess with your head. How many do you regularly see on TV? It's the same twelve or so, right? <laughs> and do you know why you see those same twelve? And, and think about that on the Democrat side, that, that 12 would include Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. It's the best we have. <laughs> the, the 12 that you see, it's the best we have. Now, I think some of those 12 are actually very strong. Right? Tom Cotton, you, you see him a lot. Very strong uh, politician. Uh, Rand Paul, yeah, very strong. Ted Cruz, very strong. But I'm thinking that the fact that we only see about six Republicans and about six Democrats, I have a theory that 
most of the rest of them would be sort of a John Fetterman if you put them on TV. A little bit more of a John Fetterman situation, (laughs) if you know what I mean. (laughs) Now, I'm only partially joking, but not really. There's a reason you only see 12 of them. It's because they're the only ones who can do it or they're interested or they come off well on TV. I feel like the rest of the senators are, are a generic guy and a generic woman. Right? Like, like all the rest of them are the guy with the... He has the right hair. That, that's about it. He's got the voice and the hair. Uh, I'm a senator. I've got the right hair and I've got the right voice. And I'm the senator from the great state of... I don't know. One of the ones you never hear about. I'm uh, the senator. I'm the great senator. And then if it's a woman, it just looks like a real estate agent who aged out of the real estate job. Uh, All right, so Fetterman can't be any worse than the average. And really, they mostly vote for their own team, so what's the difference? He'll be fine. Um, I continue to watch CNN for its uh, indications. It's really moving to the middle, and it's going to stay there. And sure enough, sure enough. So I watched a clip on uh, Don Lemon's morning show, and I know... I know. As soon as I said Don Lemon, you said, well, okay, CNN's not moving to the middle there, right? But watch me surprise you. Don Lemon actually said something I totally agree with. All right? Uh, Here it comes. It's kind of mind-boggling, too. This this is actually mind-boggling. Not only did Don Lemon say something that I agreed with, but you will, too. You will, too. (laughs) And it's going to make you... Angry, you know, if you're not a Don Lemon fan. You're going to be angry how much you, you agree with them. Do you think I can do that? Do you think I can say something, I can quote Don Lemon from this morning and that my audience will agree with him? Do you think, do you think that's possible? All right, they were talking, um, they were, he and some others were talking about a clip of uh, Lindsey Graham giving a, uh, a weirdly emotional plea for Herschel Walker. And uh, Lindsey Graham looked like he was going to cry. You know, some people were teasing him, looked like he was drunk in the morning. I don't think he was drunk. But he was weirdly emotional. I mean, he's for... I I didn't understand it, honestly. I didn't really understand uh, why Lindsey Graham was so emotional. But here's what he was selling. He said that uh, a vote for Herschel Walker would be... Here, I'm paraphrasing would be uh, inspirational for black conservatives. And so voting for Herschel Walker is a much bigger importance because it could help bring black conservatives into the conservative movement. And so it's much bigger than, you know, Herschel Walker. And uh, Van Jones said, uh, you know, not a big fan of Herschel Walker, and Van Jones says, uh, if you're a black, uh, if you're black conservative and you want somebody to admire, admire Tim Scott. And I thought that's why I like Van Jones, right? I've always liked Van Jones because he at least he at least puts things in a attempt to see both sides. You know, he takes a side, he takes a side. That's okay. Everybody takes a side, but at least he shows the other side, right? When he talks about it. 
So he actually gave an example of a conservative that uh, uh, black voters should look up to. And here's the thing, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't hedge it. Right? You'd expect a hedge. It's like, well, you know, Tim Scott, that's the best you can do, or just some kind of hedge. But no, he just said, there's one you can look up to. So I said, okay, that's CNN looking pretty open-minded. You know, at the same time, he was slamming Herschel Walker. Uh, and then Don Lemon busts uh, Lindsey Graham's appeal to Herschel Walker as being an inspiration to black voters. And here's what Don Lemon said. Isn't that identity politics? <laughs> Isn't that race, race politics? Yup. <laughs> yup. That's what it was. That, that was exactly race politics. And now, how blown away are you? How blown away are you that you're agreeing with Don Lemon right now on CNN? Now, he's pointing it out as a criticism, right? It's, um, it's hypocritical. But as soon as I heard it, as soon as I heard it, I said, ah, well, why am I agreeing with you? Because he's right. Yeah, it's, it's actually easy to agree with Don Lemon when he's right. Turns out it wasn't hard at all. He just had to be right. Um, so Twitter... The Twitter situation is just so interesting. I, what a time to be alive. So Twitter, depending on who you listen to, Twitter is either you know, blowing up or it's going to be the biggest thing ever. And I think it's totally a, you know, a Schrodinger's cat situation where it's sort of both. Uh, and if you look at um, Musk's pattern with his other companies, they were all close to failure I mean, really dire situation before they became huge. You know, Tesla and Space, SpaceX. Uh, and now he's, he's doing the same play with Twitter. So he's told the employees it's a dire situation, using that word, dire. Um, it's reported today he's even said bankruptcy is possible. And, you know, advertisers are leaving and, and they're bleeding money, $4 million a day, and... Uh, the executives are quitting, and you know, allegedly he fired one of them for being disrespectful, and you know, now all the executives are gone. <clears throat> so let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of a tech company that didn't operate well because the executives left? <laughs> Will it make any difference? Well, what were they doing? <laughs> I'll bet those executives weren't doing anything but bitching for the last week. <laughs> There's probably no difference. You know, as long as you have enough of the technical people coming to work, you're pretty good. Now, uh, the head of sales left, and I think the marketing all got fired. So what happens when you fire everybody in marketing? Well, if you're Elon Musk, uh, he reports that uh, Twitter usage is at an all-time high. (laughs) It's at an all-time high. So he's getting all the interest he wants, who knows how much of that will last? But people are bitching like crazy about feature changes and you know buying buying your little uh, you know Twitter um, verification. And now there's going to be a new thing where you're not only verified, which means you're a real person, but you're also some kind of a notable person uh, or something. I don't know. So uh, people like me, we we got slammed back a level. I think it's going to stay that way. 
So in other words, my, my sort of prestige uh, for being a blue check person on Twitter, I think will be taken away in the sense that I'll, you know, I'll fit in with anybody who's verified now. Is that good or bad? What do you think? So not from my point of view, but from your point of view. From your point of view, is it good or bad that I'm brought down to same level as everybody else? Most of you say good. All right, I'm going to take. I'll take. I'll take your view. All right. Obviously, obviously, it's not my self-interest. <laughs> you, you can see that, right? It's not to my self-interest. I don't like it. Don't like it. But I'm not going to stop using Twitter. And the fact that you all like it, that's good enough for me. If it's good enough for all of you, that's good enough for me. You know, I don't have to win every. Like I don't have to win every game, right? Sometimes you can win. That's okay. You win this one. That's all right with me. All right. Um, some more interesting things. Um, did you hear that uh, Biden was asked, and it looked like a planted question from Bloomberg, <laughs> the Bloomberg uh, uh, company, uh, if Biden thinks that uh, Musk's foreign business connection should be investigated by the government? To which I said, and then Biden gives this squinty, like evil look, yeah, yeah. and then he takes a long time to answer. I think that might be worth looking into. Now, of course, you know he's got his own foreign connection problems that are well reported. Uh, so there's the hypocrisy angle, but it's really chilling, isn't it? Because on one hand. On one hand, I'm glad that my government would at least be, you know, sensitive to a billionaire, you know, who owns a major communication platform, and if they have any foreign ties, there's a, a Saudi investor who's part of the deal. So I don't mind that that gets looked into, but it doesn't look like they're looking into it because it's a good thing to do. It really looks like they just want to take him out, doesn't it? Like, it doesn't feel like your government doing the government's job, which I wouldn't mind at all if they were a little bit vigilant about a billionaire with a major communication platform. That's not the worst thing in the world. But I think you need something... I think you need something a little solid to, you know, maybe hang your hat out before you scare the... And even saying it in public is, is uh, super douchebaggy. What do you think of that? Even if Biden believed that it should have happened, given that there's no specific claim of impropriety, shouldn't he have shut the fuck up like a, like a citizen of the United States would do? Like any good citizen would do? <laughs> if you only had a suspicion that there might be something wrong without any, any actual you know, detailed allegation and you're the president of the United States, you should shut the fuck up about a private citizen may or may not have done something illegal. That's not cool at all. You know, maybe if he were a political foe, that's different, but he's a private citizen. Yeah, you, 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 you don't accuse him of maybe being a, associated with something unsavory from the, literally from the, 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 the lectern of the presidency. That's not cool. Not cool at all. 
But I don't mind the pre- that the government is, in fact, um, looking into it. All right. <clears throat> so apparently uh, Musk had an all-hands meeting he called this morning, and he's telling them that one of the things he wants to do with Twitter, you've heard before, is turn it into a peer-to-peer payment system. Now, <clears throat> if, if you say to yourself, I don't think that Elon Musk can save Twitter because not enough people will pay $8, Apparently, the math agrees with you. It doesn't look like that would work. If you say you can't save Twitter because there won't be enough advertising revenue, it looks like you're right. So it looks like if you added his subscriptions to his advertising fees, it doesn't come close to paying the bills, even with after the layoffs. Now, uh, I'm open to a fact check on that, but I, don't, but I think that's true, right? That it's not really close. Am I right? Now, how much money could he make as a payment system? What, what, would a, what would a brand new payment system be worth if you're already using it every day, it's got hundreds of millions of users who are already the base, it's created by Elon Musk, who is one of the PayPal creators, so clearly this is an industry that he has connections and, and probably more... He's probably as qualified as anybody on the planet to build a payment system on top of Twitter. I mean, who, who else would you pick for that, right? Um, now, imagine all of the things that you might want to use a payment system for, such as everything you see on Twitter. Let, let me tell you what my experience is on uh, Instagram. So Instagram shows me an ad every day that I want to buy. Every day. Every single day I see an ad, because they're really good at matching the ad. I mean, so it's like they're reading my mind. Uh, And do you know why I don't buy it through Instagram? Because I don't have a payment system that's, like, automatically connected. I don't know. Do they have even Google Payment connected? I don't know. But it looks like it takes me to the um, individual company's own payment system. And then I have to put in all my information. So you know what I do? I go to Instagram, I see an ad for something I want, and then I go to Amazon and I buy it. And, and Instagram loses that transaction. Right? If Instagram let me click on the ad and pay it with a payment system that was built into Instagram, and I already have, I have Google... Uh, uh, what is it, Google Pay or whatever it is? I have that, right? So some kind of other system to connect in there. Now, do they, I, I'm surprised, yeah, the, the Apple doesn't work on the individual uh, payment sites, though. Like if you go to the company's own site, uh, Apple payment doesn't seem to work all the time. Right? Anyway, so here's my point. The potential uh, for Twitter as a digital payment site is way bigger than its potential as social media. You get that, right? Now, here's the next part. If you could use Venmo, but you think Venmo might turn you off for your political opinions, or you could use the Twitter payment system and you're pretty sure you won't get turned off for your political opinions, which one are you going to use? (laughs) Do you see it yet? 
a, a Twitter payment system would be almost automatic for anybody who didn't want to use a system that was going to penalize you for being a conservative. Do you know how much money Elon Musk could make with a payment system that wasn't going to kick you off for your opinion? Nobody else is making one, are they? Now, now let, let me take you a little further. If you're one of the richest people in the world, one of the things you should own would be... Uh, a satellite network that does internet. Check. Got it. Got that. You also need a, a media, a media platform. That's Twitter. What's the What's the last thing you need that you really, really need? Not Mars. No, not Neuralink. Although Neuralink would be one. No, not an army. No. You need a bank. Elon Musk. I think, is going to be your bank. Now, I don't know that, but I don't think he'd be happy just being another peer-to-peer payment company. I, I think he would, he would just go full bank. If he goes full bank, there is no limit to how much money he can make. <laughs> yeah, now you're talking a trillion. Yeah, you're, you're talking like as, as big a, you know, a Wells Fargo-sized valuation. So... The, um, the, the part that the average non-business person sees here is that he's in total trouble. You know, he's bleeding money and people are quitting and they're all mad at him and the features aren't working and blah, 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 blah. But you're blinded to the fact that combining Twitter with a payment system might be one of the biggest, most valuable companies ever created in the history of civilization. So there's that. <laughs> There's that. All right. So apparently on CBS, uh, on a show called The Good Fight, which I've never seen, um, there was a plot line in which the real Governor DeSantis is accused, falsely accused. So even, even in the show, even in the show, it's treated as a false accusation. But you don't find it out it's false for a while that there was some, like, sexual impropriety. And the fact that a TV show would do a fictional story about an accusation of a real person with a sexual accusation is probably one of the worst things you'll ever see. Now, they do treat it as a character made it up. That doesn't help. That doesn't help. No. Because once that's in your head, it's paired, it's paired in your head with... That's just not cool. That's not cool. So I guess people were complaining about that, and should. I saw a, uh, somebody refer to uh, Biden's idea that he would uh, uh, do a student loan, uh, I guess Fox News calls it a handout. <laughs> What's it called? Debt forgiveness, but it's not really that. It's just moving the debt to somebody else. So, so Fox News calls it a student loan handout. All right, let's call it a handout. Um, but it was the perfect bait-and-switch, wasn't it? The, the only thing better than buying votes is buying votes and not paying for it. Or buying votes with uh, the money from your, your opponents or something. <laughs> Biden actually found a way 
to convince idiots that he was going to cancel the debt, even though everybody told him it was illegal and couldn't happen. And he just, oh, well, I'm doing it anyway. And then all the people are like, oh, vote for that free money. And then he gets a lot of young people votes who are like trying to get their debt canceled. I'll bet that's a big story part of the uh, young female... Oh, has anybody said this yet? Uh, young single women are more likely to have worthless college degrees than any other group. Am I right? Let me say it again. The, the segment that is most likely to have a worthless college degree, in other words, somebody who can't pay back their debt, is single women. Because they don't have a husband to help. And that's not sexist. You have just a partner to help. And uh, they're, mo- they're more likely to have you know, taken a, a less useful commercial uh, kind of a, a major. By the way, I, I, I might be operating from ignorance and bigotry, but wouldn't the, wouldn't the data back me on this? I'm just spitballing here. But And has anybody mentioned that yet? Have you heard anybody in the news yet mention the connection that the young, young women are the most likely to have um, debt that they can't pay back from college? So this was really kind of a brilliant play by the Democrats to promise this thing and then they get the credit for trying, even though they had to know it couldn't work. You know, what, when I say that the Democrats outplayed the Republicans, they really did. <laughs> they really did. The, the Democrats outperformed in the, the weasel tricks and the persuasion and stuff. And, and let, me, let me say, if, if the Republicans had done the same thing, I'd still say it's a weasel play, but effective. It worked. So there's that. A good bait and switch. <laughs> All right, I know what you want. Do you want me to talk about uh, Trump? <laughs> All right, so here's the basic story. Uh, Trump did a lengthy uh, attack on DeSantis, if you want to call it an attack, on Truth Social, and it you know bleeds over into the other uh, platforms. And he, Trump's story, I'll I'll just summarize it is that Trump is the reason DeSantis is successful. Because sometime in the past, when DeSantis was struggling to get elected for some lower office, I guess, uh, Trump, uh, Trump backed him, and that was the difference, according to Trump. And now uh, Ron DeSanctimonious, as he calls him yet again, uh, is being sort of a disloyal traitor to Trump for, I think, not ruling out a run for presidency. right? I think that's all it is. And then, all right, so you've got uh, Trump's turning on DeSantis, and then uh, Trump also turned on Governor Youngkin. And so today he, he mocked uh, Governor Youngkin, and he said his, he, he printed his name as two parts, Young and then K-I-N-Kin. And then in parentheses he said, sounds like a Chinese name. And that's when I tweeted, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> not going to do it again. Nope. Not going to do it again. Um, here, here's my personal thinking, right? And this is purely personal. I, I lost about a third of my income for years, and probably forever, for backing Trump. Backing Trump was really fucking expensive. 
both socially and economically. I mean, it was just a disaster. But I also thought it was something the country needed, and so I thought, well, I can afford it. And so it felt like I was on the right side, right? The right side of history and stuff. So you, you can do a little bit more, take a little bit more pain if you're on the right side. But there are now alternatives to Trump, DeSantis being the obvious one, that make his contribution not essential. In other words, uh, policy-wise, Trump kind of established you know, what is and is not a reasonable policy, and I think other Republicans are going to follow that example. So you get now Trump, Trump policies without Trump, and here's the thing that makes me crazy. I don't know if Trump doesn't know when he says things that people will easily interpret as racist. I don't know if he doesn't know. But whether he knows that he's doing it or not, I don't want to be part of it anymore. Because he's at an age where I can't really endorse a president at that age. And uh, I don't want to be embarrassed by him anymore. Right? I don't want somebody to say, he said that racist thing, what do you say, Scott? I want to say, I don't care. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be president again. Now, um, if you've taken the temperature on social media, yeah, I've seen people who are saying bye. They're already checking out. So if you, if you check the temperature on social media, you can see that people have really turned on Trump in a way that we never saw before. Yeah, we never saw before. And if he were the only option, that would be a different conversation, but he's not. Now, here's, so there are two things I don't like him. When he, when he said that, that Young Kin sounded like a Chinese name, I think what he was doing is saying that he has some connections to China that should, you know, he wants you to worry about or something. But the way it comes off is that other way. It's like somehow ethnicity matters to something that it shouldn't. So, and then the other thing is that he attacked two uh, governors on his own team who really didn't have it coming. And that's different than what we've seen from Trump before. The thing you liked about Trump was attacking the other team. Now, Trump would say, I'm sure, but you watched me attack all those Republicans in the primaries in 2016, right? He attacked all those Republicans. Nobody complained about that. But that was in the primary, that was in the primary. If DeSantis says he's running for president, oh, yeah, fine. The moment that DeSantis says he's running for president, yeah, whatever he says, fine. That's all part of the process. And same with Youngkin. But if they're not running against you and they're on the same team, that just doesn't feel right, does it? You know, and I'm not you know, necessarily backing either of those two people. I'm just saying... It just doesn't feel the same as it felt, you know, in the early days of Trump. Now, um, here's the only analysis that I think matters for this Trump-DeSantis thing. And I saw a tweet on it from Unhoodwinked, a Twitter account. And Unhoodwinked says this, There's no one who would vote for Trump that would not vote for DeSantis, but that doesn't work the other way around. That's all you need to know. Do you agree? 
Now, don't treat it as a, a real absolute, because there are no such things as absolutes like this. But DeSantis doesn't really have any reason to reject him. Does he? If you're a conservative, he has no reason to reject him. But Trump has reasons. Reasons to love him, which I totally get, but reasons to reject him. So, now here's the counter-argument. I'll give you the counter-argument. The counter-argument is that Trump won, uh, I think it was white Rust Belt types, and nobody won them before, and you would need them to to win. I don't know that that argument works anymore. Because I don't know that those Rust Belt people were voting exactly for his personality. Maybe they were at the beginning. But I think they like the... I think they like the policies. So if they think they can get the Trump policies without being associated with a racist, I feel like that might be a better deal. (laughs) And I don't think Trump is racist, by the way, but in terms of how he's being uh, framed. All right. So here's some more people turning on people. All right, so Trump says DeSantis turned on Trump. So now Trump's turning on DeSantis. Meanwhile... Rupert Murdoch, uh, according to the news, is allegedly turning on Trump through his media organs of Fox News and Wall Street Journal and uh, The Post, I guess. And, yeah, there's some reporting that Murdoch is anti-Trump. Your Post, yeah. Um, Have you seen it? Have you watched Fox News in the last day or two? Would you say that Fox News has gone pro-DeSantis and anti-Trump? Yes or no? In your opinion, has Fox News gone pro-DeSantis and anti-Trump? Yeah. So uh, Tucker Carlson is going strong DeSantis, and I think um, Hannity too. It looks like it, yeah. So I would say that the evidence um, supports that hypothesis, but we, you know, we have to speculate because we can't read Murdoch's head. Looks like it. Um, all right, and the, you know the, the buzz is all the conservative commentators are, you know, Trump is dead and Trump is over. Um, so now Trump has a big announcement coming up. Do you think he'll uh, go ahead and announce that he's running, or will the feedback that he got this week? convince him to not run, which would be the most amazing mind F of all time. I feel like maybe he has to run to keep Truth Social alive. Because who's going to go to Truth Social if Trump doesn't run? That that would be a tough business barrier to get past. Yeah, you would? Yeah, we'll see. Now, uh... Can I, can I give myself uh, some wiggle room in case I'm wrong about everything? All right, I'm going to give myself some wiggle room. You have, you have to remember I did this so that later when you, you call me to the woodshed, <laughs> I'll, I'll have that little excuse. Here's my little excuse. Nothing about Trump is predictable. Okay? So if, if three months from now... Trump is saying all the right things, and um, DeSantis said that he's not running, for example. Uh, and it looks like whoever's going to run on the other side is a complete waste of carbon. Uh, 
you know, I might have to say what Trump is doing right, but I don't know if I can say I'm going to be a supporter, but I'm going to be practical. I mean, I'm going to do what, what makes sense for America as I see it, Whatever, wherever that takes me. All right, so Georgia runoff, Walker and Warnock um, are going to do a runoff. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Georgia race was very close, which is why there's a runoff. Uh, and nobody's complaining about irregularities, are they, in Georgia? Did I miss it? Is anybody complaining about election irregularities in Georgia? Because it would be amazing if they're not, right? So, on some are. Stacey Abrams was complaining. Is she the only one? I don't, I don't know that there are any specifics. I think Stacey Abrams was more complaining about the rules in Georgia, not, not about a, anybody cheating. I don't, I don't think she made a comment about any specific irregularity. Yeah. Wait, Glenn, Glenn Youngkin has an engineering degree? Hello. I just found my next president. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, what's going on here? Yeah, so I feel like that's good news, isn't it? If Georgia did an election that was that close so far, and people are not, at least no credible people are complaining about it. Now let's, let's talk about Arizona. All right, here's a little uh, knowledge question for you. The, the reason that Arizona's vote count for governor and Senate, and more, I guess, uh, the reason that it's delayed, you all know, the reason it's delayed is that Arizona has different rules than other states, all right? Why? Go. Why does Arizona have different rules than other states? The most obvious question, right? Now, give me real reasons, not, not the funny reasons. They're idiots, they're cheaters, blah, blah. Hobbs, blah, no, the corruption, no, no, no. Those are all the easy, those are the easy reasons. No, not that. Don't give me the easy ones. Give me the real reasons. So it turns out there's actually a real reason. You want to hear the real reason? And, and this, I, I want to see if, any, if you've even heard it. right? Because this was what was bothering me. I follow the news every day. Like, I follow it pretty closely. I didn't know the reason. I didn't know the reason that Arizona does it differently. But there is a reason. And it's actually pretty good. No, not I, so far. Not one of you knows the reason. No. Well, signature verification is part of the reason. Yes, that's not what I was going for. Here's the reason. They let you uh, vote absentee up until uh, election day, so that you don't have to stand in line to vote. They've eliminated the need to stand in line to vote, but you can still vote on election day. You just drop it in a box, right? Now, is that a good reason? Let me tell you one of the reasons that people don't vote. One of the, pieces, one of the reasons people don't vote is because they don't want to wait in line. That's actually a pretty good reason. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't that a pretty good reason? The trouble is that it makes them you know, out of line with the rest of the country and everybody complains. But... Um, you could, all, you could almost, here, let me, let me uh, 
give you my overall opinion. If I were to engineer the system myself, I would say, let's keep that benefit, but make everybody the same. So we'll have everybody vote on election day any way they want, with paper ballot or anything else. But you say nobody gets any results for a week. You just say, we're not going to give you any results for a week. That's our new system. Then you've eliminated waiting in line, which has got to be a big part of the friction. I mean, I wouldn't wait in line. So Anyway, so there are some other differences in Arizona. One is that um, they got pushed back in prior elections, and so they're going really, really extreme to make sure that they're doing signature verification correctly. It takes longer. What do you think of that? What do you think of them doing more aggressive signature verification, but it might take longer? <laughs> it, it might be good, right? It might be good. Like uh, on paper, that's a pretty good thing. Have I ever told you the concept of malicious compliance? Malicious compliance? You know what I'm talking about? Right? I think that's what's happening. All right, here's the Dilbert filter on the Arizona situation. Take yourself back to the prior election. All right? You're an election worker, and you're just like a, you're not a leader, like you're just you're a lower-level you know, functionary. And you just got shit on by everybody for not doing a careful enough job of signature verification. I mean, you really, really got beat up on that signature verification thing. Next election comes along, and nothing's changed except you got in trouble last time for not doing signature verification carefully enough. What you going to do? You're going to maliciously comply because they probably asked for a lot more resources. Probably, right? Probably got denied. <laughs> it's now the same fuckers who are pissed off because they got shit on for not doing enough verification are giving people exactly what they asked for. Here's your, here's your careful verification. If you want careful verification, I'll stare at this fucking ballot for an hour. I'm getting paid by the hour. Let me ask you this. Do you think the people who are staring at the signature verifications, do they get paid by the job or by the hour? What would you guess? If you had to guess, of course they're being paid by the hour. (laughs) Of course. Of course they are. They're being paid by the hour, and they'll get in trouble if they go fast, but they'll they'll make all the people who complained about them look like assholes if they go slow. So what are they going to do? Malicious compliance. I've talked about this before. You see it a lot. When people at a lower level get shit on, they start doing the job the way it was designed to be done, which is inefficiently. Because if you follow all the requirements of the job, you can't even do the job. I first learned this when I worked for the bank. I was a bank teller. I've told this story before. And I got in trouble for, I don't know, not checking two IDs or something. I checked one ID for some lower dollar amount. And, uh, you know, I got in trouble. And my, my boss said, you know, you've got to follow the rules. Like, these rules are here for a reason. It's two IDs. And I argued something along the lines of, this is a regular customer. This is somebody I, I deal with, like, once a week for, like, you know, months. I, do, I know this person. I practically know their account number. So I took one ID in that case. 
And the boss says, but that's not the rule. The rule is two IDs. You've got to follow the rules. So I started following all the bank rules, which resulted in me sending almost every customer to a supervisor because I couldn't handle the transaction. <laughs> all I had to do was follow the rules, and I couldn't do my job. The, and the line just went out the door. And eventually, my boss came over to me, and she said, you know, you're, like, you're not getting it done. I said, I'm getting it done. I'm doing everything exactly the way you taught me. I'm following every rule, and these customers do not have proper ID. So I'm sending every one of them to you. That is what you asked me to do. That is your, that's your system. And then she basically whispered to me, you see all these customers from Chevron? Because we're, uh, we're next to a Chevron headquarters, so we get all the Chevron high-paid people. She says, you see that little uh, pin that they're wearing? So I think it was maybe a tie pin or something. So a lot of the people had like a five-year, a 10-year, or a 20-year pin. You could actually tell how long they'd worked for Chevron by their clothing. <laughs> they'd have a little pin with their length of service. She goes, if you see that little pin, he goes, they're fine. <laughs> That's like the opposite of, you know, the very opposite of bank rules. So basically, she told me to follow the rules or I'd be fired. So I followed the rules, and she learned the hard way that no customer was served. And then she said, don't follow the rules. Just, just don't follow the rules. It's the only way we can get this done. That might be happening in Arizona. That's what it looks like. All right. Um, but it annoys me that uh, the reporting on Arizona is just sort of generically, why don't they do a better job? I feel like you need to dig down at least as far as I dug down, right? Weren't you also wondering what the hell's going on? Turns out there's a reason. They don't like lines, and it's probably malicious compliance. And I think they had a record number of uh, ballots that need signature verification, too. So it's just a bigger load than normal. Which, none of the, by the way, to be clear, none of this explains why they can't just do it the way Florida does it. You just have longer lines and you know, some other trade-offs, but they could do it. All right, let's talk about Ukraine. It does look like Russia genuinely is pulling back from the Kherson Oblast region, but they're at least, it looks like all they're doing is getting on the other side of the river. So the river you know, was like a natural defensive point. So it looks like they're just taking a winter defensive posture. So I'm not, I'm not sure we can learn too much about what's happening at the moment. It looks like both sides are making their, their winter strategy setups, you know, so it's hard to know what's going on. Um, but I guess the United States has twisted the arm of Zelensky to at least say what he would accept. Now, I'm operating from memory. So Zelensky said he, he would consider negotiating with Putin, but he would require that at the very least, Putin gives back the territory that they, he took this year. Interestingly, that would not include Crimea. And I, I don't know why I'm not seeing a ton of reporting that Ukraine has apparently given up on trying to get Crimea back. Now, none of us thought that that was you know, likely to happen. I don't think many people thought it. But um, isn't that a gigantic change? And fact check me. He did say that, right? He, he said he's happy getting back what they took this year. So they would 
Russia would keep Crimea. Yeah. And I think most people thought that's where it would end up anyway. Right? Then I think he's asking for, quote, guarantees that it won't happen again. Now, that's a good thing to ask for because it's vague. So, you know, there's room to work with that. You know, the guarantees. Now, the guarantees could be that Russia says, all right, you can have NATO. Maybe that's the guarantee. Or maybe they'd say, we'll remove all you know, offensive weapons or something. There's probably a way to get it. Then, uh, wasn't there also something about reparations? Can, give me a fact check of that. Did Zelensky say there would have to be reparations? Because if he did, that's the right thing. Yeah, he did. So that's exactly the right thing to ask for. Why? Why should he ask for reparations? Go. Why should he ask for reparations? Well, one reason is that he should get reparations. But what's the other reason? It's something to trade away. Yeah. It's, uh, reparations are a, an invisible, like, imaginary asset. So he can imagine them into existence, like Trump. Trump was the expert at that, imagining something into existence and then trading it away <laughs> to trade a nothing for something. What Zelensky wants is his territory back. And that would be the win of all wins. I mean, he would be a legend forever if he did that uh, and got a permanent peace. So reparations would be nice. You know, how awesome would reparations be? But that's not going to happen. It just gives him something to give up. So if you were to read the way Zelensky um, is responding, that does look exactly like somebody who's serious about peace to me. But as somebody else said, uh, it makes no sense to, get, to actually agree to peace while the Ukrainians are gaining territory. However, will they keep gaining territory in the winter? So I'm, I'm not in a, I don't know enough about the military capabilities in the winter to know the following answer. Are we guaranteed going to have four months of nobody changing anything? Because nobody's going to do much in the winter? So we're kind of guaranteed to a four-month stalemate, right? Yes or no? I see a no. I'm not sure if we're smart enough to know this, are we? A little bit of disagreement? Uh, winter favors Ukraine, somebody says. Fa- favors, okay. But is that enough that they will get any serious territorial gain? I, su- I suppose you can just keep shelling in the winter, right? I guess that still works, yeah. So if, if Russia is still within artillery range, then Ukraine will keep pounding them. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, next question. Are the Russian supply lines, for food especially, are they more, uh, more vulnerable in the winter? It feels like it, right? Is that an obvious question or not obvious? Because I would think that the offensive ability might be limited in some ways, just as everything's limited in the winter. I don't know. But, but I feel like the Ukrainians might be able to starve the Russians out if they have the, the high Mars system that can you know, hit, their, hit their food uh, shipments. But on the other hand, on the other hand, it seems like getting food to soldiers when you're, you know, you're in Russian territory... It feels like that's the most doable thing. You know, maybe they just have to do an airlift or something. I doubt you could starve them, actually, uh, as long as Russia is a functioning country. 
All right. Um, I would say that where it's, where it's heading is they'll probably have some serious negotiations this winter, but nobody's going. neither side would agree if they think they're going to have the advantage after the winter is over. So would either Ukraine or Russia have a reason to believe that they would have the advantage in the spring? Would that give Russia time to recoup and give them an advantage? So does Russia have the advantage by just waiting and just continuing to turn the lights out in Ukraine and bomb their power stations? I don't know. Probably yes. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know enough to say yes or no on that. All right. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the fascinating live stream for today. I think I've delivered on my promise. Not only have I paired waiting in line with breathing exercises, which will change your life, uh, but I think I've given you some takes you're not going to see anywhere else. All right. And is there any topic I missed? Any topic I missed? Let's see. Oh, let's talk about uh, the systems. <laughs> Yesterday, I optimistically uh, tweeted that it was sort of breathtaking to watch all of our systems self-correct. And I mean that. So yesterday, the uh, w- did we get a good uh, inflation report or something yesterday? What was it that drove the stock market up? It was a good CPI report. Now, I wouldn't believe you know one CPI report. I don't know that it was the election, because it, the election, would have we would have seen that the day before. Yeah, so we were 7.7, now 7.9. So heading in the right direction. All right, here's what I think we are. I think our election system had the most transparency we've ever seen, uh, thanks to Harmeet and her army of lawyers and, and the Republicans having more access to, uh, to be watchers. So I think our election system might be the best it's been. I think that having a... Uh, a balanced government is exactly what the public wanted. I think the public self-corrected the government by, by taking its power away. I think that's what happened. So that's good. I think the stock market is seeing the correction. I think our supply chains are working their way, you know, are figuring their way out. I think we are decoupling from China. I think China's in trouble. And almost all of our systems are self-correcting. And it's sort of amazing to watch it. I think the education system is self-correcting. If you saw, Corey DeAngelis was taking a uh, victory victory lap, and I think he deserved it. Because it turns out that the uh, pro-education choice people, the school choice people, those candidates did unusually well. Right? And I think he gets credit for that. So, so our education system is self-correcting, slowly. Our inflation is coming down, slowly. Um, the, the Ukraine war, to me, it looks less and less like nuclear war and more and more like Russia is permanently degraded. Is that a problem? Financially, it is. But if they don't nuke us, I don't know. TikTok revealed that uh, we don't know that TikTok had any impact on the election, 
But we can say for sure that the channel is obvious now, that the biggest group of voters, the young women, are also the target market of TikTok. So if China wanted to change an election, they could do it. Here, here's a, a comment I heard. I won't say where I heard this, but um, apparently if you're a TikTok user, you will not see much about the immigration problem. Now, I'd need a confirmation of that, but I don't think TikTok is, is sending a lot of, hey, immigration's problem, look at all these people streaming across the border. But I'll bet, I'll bet you're seeing plenty on abortion rights. Now, is that because of the algorithm? It could be the algorithm is doing what it's supposed to do, which is it might be young women are very interested in abortion and much le- less interested in the border, perhaps. Perhaps. So maybe the algorithm is you know, just doing what it's supposed to do. But the problem is that China can control that algorithm, and if they did or did not do anything to interfere with their elections, they can. <laughs> if you know they can, and you can see the complete path then TikTok has revealed its soft underbelly, and now it can be uh, destroyed. But until this election, you couldn't see the direct path of how TikTok is influencing the group that influenced the elections. And if you get caught up on the, on the question of whether that made the difference, I'm not claiming it did. I, I don't see direct evidence that it did. I'm claiming that there's now direct evidence that it would be easy. It would be simple, and you wouldn't know the difference. Is Scott a narcissist? We've been through that. Of course I am. I don't, can you really do this job and not be a narcissist? I, I, feel, I think everybody who, has a, who willingly takes a public exposure type of job at some level must like it. Right? So always a little bit. Yeah, but there are two kinds of narcissists. There's the good kind and the bad kind. The good kind tries to get credit for doing things that are good for you. So, you know, there's a reason that people get, like, awards for things. It's because when people feel good helping other people, they'll do more of it. So if, if being a narcissist and liking to get credit for doing good things, if that allows me to do more good things, then don't complain. <laughs> but the other kind uh, is more of a destructive narcissist. It's sort of an all, everything's about them and there's no conversation after that. Uh, yeah. Andrew Tate is going to fight Jake Paul. Is that true? <laughs> Interesting. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, Atavium, you're too awesome. Um, tainted love. All right, I think I've covered everything, right? Uh, Andrew Taint. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen of YouTube and Spotify, thanks for joining. Talk to you soon.